and welcome to the first official episode of our brand new Warrior Princess podcast, Blair Her Name. We are your hosts, Ray and Elliot, bringing you queer content from both coasts. Today we're discussing Season 1, Episode 1 of Xena the Warrior Princess. In this episode, titled Sins of the Past, which aired originally September 4th, 1995. Xena... <laughs> Formerly a ruthless warlord, appears on the scene to prove that she has changed her ways. While fighting to protect the innocent, she rescues a young, aspiring bard, Gabrielle, who becomes her traveling companion. You know what? I actually like didn't realize that she like is considered a bard. Really? Because I feel like that's her most like defining feature. I that makes sense. I guess it's just like especially so early on, like. Because at this point, I feel like she's still, like, she really wants to be Xena. Mm-hmm. Anyway, okay, sorry, I just had a moment of, holy shit, bards already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, before we get into the actual discussion of the episode, we wanted to do some quick personal introductions. Um, Elliot, if you'd like to go on your personal blurb. Um, hi, I'm Elliot Junkyard. Um, I write queer things, and I'm a fiber artist. And I live in the mountains in Pennsylvania. You did that? You, like, finished right as I took a sip of my wine. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Ray Noble. I am a queer writer of urban fantasy and also a graphic designer and also a dog and cat mom. And they like to make some noise. I've got three cats and a Rottweiler mix. And luckily right now everybody's sleeping. But there is a chance that we will have some animal mascots making some noise later on so yeah otherwise that's basically us and in that case i think we can go ahead and start discussing the episode which is let's be honest the real reason everybody's here Uh, obviously (laughs) obviously i mean i would love to talk about uh, like just ourselves and us for the entire time i'm just waiting for the day where you just have a podcast where you talk about your animals (laughs) What you, okay, what you don't know is that I've been trying to get my girlfriend to do a dog podcast with me since before I started doing Whip. And she is, like, she's agreed to do it, but she's also argued with me about it because she doesn't also really want to do it, even though she's already agreed. And it kind of breaks my heart because all I ever want to do is talk about my animals. It's fine. It'll happen one day. I want to talk about dogs all the time. Why is that such a problem? The struggle is real. It is a real struggle. But anyway. Let's talk about some gay shit. Yeah, let's talk about gay shit, which is my second favorite thing to discuss. (laughs) So let us open to the opening scenes of the very first episode of Xena, where we see a beautiful watercolor landscape that is covered by, weirdly enough, Celtic music. Even though we're in ancient Greece. And didn't you know that, like, apparently Celtic music was the pop music of ancient Greece? <laughs> I didn't, but thank you for that information. I really, really appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, that probably makes sense. I don't know what else would be considered the pop music of the age. Like, Druid chanting is probably, like, it it was a real bop. (laughs) (laughs) Although I do have to say, with all of the, like, Gregorian Celtic-y chants, um, it does give some very good ambiance to a very sad, uh, like, Xena. So I do appreciate that. Yeah, her, her intro scene is very, like, dramatic, but also kind of mournful. Yeah. Although, I don't know if I mentioned this in my notes, but I'm really interested to know the timeline of all of this. Yeah, because I don't know that we ever get, like, a specific timeline, even as the series progresses. Because uh, for people who don't know, Xena uh, is a spinoff character from Hercules, The Legendary Journeys. And when she was on Hercules, she was bad Xena. Like, she was introduced as bad Xena. And this show is her, like, redemption arc. 
honestly, I totally forgot that. So I'm really glad that you decided to like put that out there. Like I knew it like in the back of my head, but then I was like looking for gifts for this, like to promote our podcast. I came upon like some gifts of her in Hercules being like bad Xena. And I was like, Oh, that's right. She was bad Xena. I just, I don't know. I feel like Xena as a TV show just turned out to be so much more iconic than Hercules did. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. And so I just like, I kind of forget that it existed slash I forget that Hercules wasn't the spinoff from Xena. I kind of always assumed that it was the opposite way around, even though I know better. But also I never paid attention to that TV show. So, you know, whatever. So, Well, basically we're rewriting history and we're writing Hercules out of history because fuck you, Kevin Sorbo. Also that. He's officially now the worst. Um, But besides that, like, I don't know. I feel like as we're watching the beginning episode, like the beginning moments of the episode, we're seeing Xena have this moment of like sudden need to reconcile and need to like, you know, pay penance and shit. But it doesn't make any sense because it makes everything seem like everything just happened within the last like few days. Mm -hmm. But also... Um, there's no carnage to be seen. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, the, either the singular kid in the village who's left by himself did a really good job of cleaning up, or he was pulling the wool's, like, fur hair over Xena's eyes and made up a lie about Xena killing his parents. I did not trust that child. Anyway. Um, or, like... This happened forever ago, and she's just coming back to this place, and this kid has been living by himself for forever. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he's just, like, trauma child, just sleeping next to his dead parents or something. Exactly. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. But either way, um, one thing that I did take away from this that I feel is very important to mention is that bad Xena, when we're seeing her flashbacks as she's being the actual, like, ruthless warrior princess, um has no hair attachment and like it has like just bangs and straight black hair whereas good Cena has like a braided hair crown and I feel like that's important to note I don't know why but it seems to be like her defining factor throughout the entire episode is when she's like having flashbacks there's no hair thing when she's good in the present there's a hair thing it's where she gets her good powers from the braid. The hair braid. I don't think it lasts, so I don't know how well that works, but I'll accept it. Yeah, I don't actually remember if it, if it carries on through other episodes, but we're, we're going to roll with it. I totally understand and agree, um, because I think it's a pretty, like, I feel like it's a decent denominator, like, especially can't, since they can't, like, change her leather armor or anything, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so that's kind of the introduction. You see... Xena walking on her beautiful horse, whose name I can't remember. Elliot? Her her horse's name is Argo, and he is the best. Oh, yes. Thank you, Argo. Um, and being sad and remorseful, she gives some bread to a kid who tells her that his parents were killed by Xena, who came down in a magical chariot and shot them with lightning bolts. And I just would really like to know where these magical powers came from and then where they went. <laughs> And then we kind of merge into her, like, finding this random troop of people, mostly women, being corralled by men with swords and weapons um, in a random forest slash jungle area. Well, first, before she sees these, like, townsfolk, there's a very, like, extended scene of her taking off all of her Xena armor (laughs) and, like, burying it in the dirt. Thank you, I missed that. Yeah, so it is both a literal and figurative, like, burying and shedding her past, which, you know, good job there, writers. But also, can we address that she really doesn't bury it very deep? No, she doesn't, because later on, there's, like, like two minutes from now, during a fight scene, she just, like, reaches into the dirt and, like, grabs a sword. You know she did that on purpose. She did not want to bury it that deep at all. She was like, no, I need to have this on hand. Either way. um, Literally, my favorite thing, 
probably out of the entire episode is how she decides to hide in the bushes, <laughs> but not hide at all. She's not even covered up by like massive leaves, anything. She's literally standing in between these two bushes where everybody can see her and just nobody notices. Not a person. Pretty great. It's, I don't know. It's fucking 90s shit, man. But besides that, um, yeah, and then from there, these evil dudes are basically threatening the women and um, Xena, of course, now suddenly being good Xena, decides that she must help them while she is standing in her white night shift, basically. Yeah, this, this night shift, it makes, it makes a recurring, like, scene whenever Xena has to, like, for whatever reason whatever gay reason she needs to take off her like leather gear but like when you're watching her there's obviously no room underneath that leather gear for her to be wearing this exactly it doesn't make any sense it makes no sense but it's just like i'll roll with that because man wearing that leather shit would like shape oh yeah you gotta have something underneath but she she clearly doesn't and it'd be great and i love it Oh, continuity. Um, so yeah, she she is about to jump out and save these townsfolk, but before she does, who do we see but our favorite, Gabrielle. My baby gay! <laughs> My favorite baby gay. So good. She's like front of the crowd, like holding like her other lady townsfolk, like in a protective stance, being like, you know, just take me. And the douchebags are like, um, I think we're going to take all of you. <laughs> I really want to know where she thought that logic was going to go, like, do well for her, honestly. She is trying her best. Oh, I appreciate that. I really do. I just, like, I just want to do that thing where I put my hand gently on her shoulder and I'm like, honey, they already have all of you. Why would they just take you? It's so good. (laughs) But either way. Um, my, you have this written down, but, um, after this point, like, Xena pops out of the bushes and it's literally a, like, a pop out of the bushes moment. Like, I don't, I cannot begin to explain to you the, like, sheer glee I had when I saw her just emerge from the bushes and just fucking whop the guy in the face in slow-mo, basically. Also, there's, like, a scene where she hits him, but the way the cut is, you don't actually ever see her hands or feet or anyone's hands or feet hit him it's just like you see that like this guy has been hit like because the way it's cut you have no idea did she kick him in the face did she hit him in the face like there's some a a plus special effects amazing love it yes it's literally like it's just his face moving in slow motion across the screen (laughs) and uh i never actually noticed this until i watched xeno with my old roommate, who um, is a theater guy, but also, like, a tech theater guy. Ooh. So every time there was, like, an extraneous or ridiculous sound effect, <laughs> he would point it out or, like, mimic it. Oh, my God. And so, like, once he, once someone points it out to you, it's hard to miss. But, like, like Zena will, like, move her hand, and it'll be like... <sighs> <laughs> That's amazing. And that happens like eight times during this fight scene. Well, you have to, I, I imagine that they're trying to make it look like she's moving so quickly that she's cutting through the wind and blah, 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 and making lots of fancy noises. But yeah. also, do they realize that's just not how that works? <laughs> I don't think so. I think they're also trying to like, like in, um, in comics, we I forget what this is called. There's like a name for it. Is it an onomatopoeia? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Sorry, but like, I love that word. Um, there's this thing where like 
stuff happens from scene to scene. You don't see the person like picking something up and putting it down, but your brain fills in the blanks. So I feel like they're trying to do that with the fight scenes where it's like, you don't see Xena kick this guy in the face, but they put the noise in and they have him turning his head so your brain fills it in so they don't actually have to like show him kicking his, this guy in the face because what are effects? Oh, damn it. That is not an onomatopoeia, but I'm grateful that you let me say it twice anyway. <laughs> but I do, I understand that. I like that a lot. I feel like that's the same like effect that happens when you know a word and you read it really quickly and you only need the big like first and last letter to know what the word is mm, it's like yeah. your brain just automatically does the work for you because that's what what's supposed to be there yeah um and also this is gonna be my favorite moment except for maybe one later on i think i might have already said i had a favorite moment i lied because i forgot this <laughs> moment exists um but literally Probably my favorite moment of the entire episode is in the middle of the fight when she sees Gabrielle get thrown over some dude's shoulder and sees her and is like, oh, I need to save her. And like, I don't remember if she like uses her chakram or what, but somehow forces him to drop her from a great from a range distance and he drops her. She continues to look for like half a second at Gabrielle who then basically like knees him either in the groin or in the stomach or something like that and just takes this dude down in like a second. And Xena has this moment where she just can't stop staring at Gabrielle and because <laughs> of that gets knocked down for the first time in the fight. And literally the only reason this happens is because Xena is so taken with her fucking soulmate and she gets yeah. horny for two seconds. <laughs> She was, like, too busy swooning at both Gabrielle's existence and then her badassery of taking this dude down that she herself got her ass beat for half a second. Exactly. And I just had this moment of, oh, my God, this is the gayest shit I've ever seen. <laughs> because what is more gay than being so gay that you can't properly fight for, like, that's what you do. That's who she is. That's that's true. Yeah, so that's that is probably my favorite moment of almost the entire episode, for real. Okay, so oh, also, um, does the she, Zena does the warrior uh, yell, and then we also have the theme. They usually accompany each other. Mm -hmm. uh, did she do it once or twice during this fight scene? I think we decided she does it twice i believe it's twice i think it's one towards the middle of the fight scene um and then another towards the end right where the theme start where the theme song starts okay i think she does it she does it like at the beginning of the fight and then like she does some fancy shit with the chakram and then does it again that would probably make sense i think i'm thinking the middle of the fight is at a different point than you are that's fair. Yeah, because I'm thinking, like, the beginning of the fight is, like, the second she, like, approaches the dude. Okay, yeah. yeah. That's but the actual fighting probably doesn't actually start happening until a few seconds after the original slow-mo dude and his beautiful punch scene. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm pretty sure it happens twice. And then from there we go into um, Lucy Lawless and her incredibly sexy voice. Yeah, it's, it's a good voice. Oh my god, I can't, I can't, I can't. Like, <laughs> anybody, she could say, tell him Xena says hello to me, and then punch me in the fucking face, and I would say thank you. <laughs> I can't. It's a problem. I mean, I can't say I blame you. <laughs> I mean, I do have to say I really do appreciate your comment here as well. And I feel like you need to say it. All right. So what I said while, while we were watching was, quote, I let Lucy Lawless non-sexually dominate me. Which yes. I stand by. Yes. But only, but only if she was wearing the Xena outfit. Oh, one. Uh, no, actually, I would also go for Lucy Lawless in Parks and Rec. But besides that, yes. 
I do love her in part. I was very, I just recently watched all seven seasons of Parks and Rec over like the last six months. And I was very happy when she showed up. I was like, yeah, Lucy Lawless, still out there, being great. It's always such a surprise when she shows up because I forget that she's in it. And then she's just the, she's just fucking perfect. She's everything. Lucy Lawless is my favorite character in any show that she's ever in. Um, okay, so next we go back to the townsfolk and Gabrielle's dad is being a bag of dicks. They're talking and, 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 and Papa Gabrielle, who, Gabrielle doesn't have a last name, so that's what I'm calling him. Papa Gab. Yeah, so, so Papa Gab's saying some shit and he's like, daughter, hush, which, fuck you. Mm Mm-hmm. You weren't even there. Like, to protect your family. So I think Gabrielle has a right to, like, talk to Xena and have a say in this. For fucking real. Yeah. I feel like that's that's a thing in almost all of the, in at least everything, every town that we see in this episode. Because surprisingly, we see multiple. Um, supposedly, the ones that are supposed to be doing the protectors, per the gender of roles in this society, don't actually do anything. Yeah, they're pretty much useless. Yeah, they're they're basically farmers that sit in very large tunics. Even the like the women are the ones that are doing the farming from what we see in this episode. Yeah. Either way, um this is one of my favorite things that Gabrielle says. Everything she says is my favorite thing Gabrielle says, honestly. Um but just the way that she says this and her response to Papa Gab saying daughter hush, she says I want to stay and talk to Xena and like literally like holds the E and it's the cutest thing in oh I'm obsessed it this is so gay this show is so gay so yeah my note my next note is Gabrielle wants much more than this provincial life with, like, 19 exclamation points. Because it's true. She does. She wants freedom. Um, she wants adventure in the graveyard somewhere. Is that she's talking about how, like, she's supposed to marry this, like, wet blanket. Oh, yeah. Basically. But it's not like she doesn't like him as a person or he's, like, old and gross or anything. He's just, like, this guy her age who's, like, fucking boring. Like, Gabrielle is an intellectual and she likes excitement. And she's like, he's boring and dumb. Like, That's the best explanation, though. And I'm just like, yeah, like, I, I feel that. Like, it's not, like, I like they don't set her up being like, I don't want to marry him because he doesn't have money. Or I don't want to marry him because he's old. It's just like, he's boring and dumb. Like, what am I supposed to fucking do with that? I feel like that gives you a really good idea of what Gabrielle appreciates in a person, too, and, like, how... Like, just what type of person she really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, like, shows you that the things that she prizes the most are adventure and excitement and also just pure intelligence. Yeah. Which I really appreciate. Um, and, oh, what was I going to say? I was going to say something. I forgot. I give up. Oh, also, um, besides that, like, he's also a man and Gabrielle's the gayest thing I've ever seen in my life so yeah I mean I feel like if we ever have a drinking game we should really just drink over every time one of us says this show is gay although that may lead to alcohol poisoning yeah we might die yeah so maybe we shouldn't but that's something to consider um oh yeah and this is another this actually leads into another good moment where um you mentioned that you um, loved how she's talking about, like, maps and everything and how she, like, likes the idea of being a cartographer. Yeah, so, like, I like that because it sets up her interest in, like, education and adventure and, like, you know, intellectual things. But also, like, the IMDb summary mentions her as a bard, but I think the way it stands is that she he wants to maybe be a bard, but she doesn't consider her one until later on in the series. So I like that it sets her up, like, from the beginning as someone who's interested in learning and interested in, like, 
words and, you know, like education across the board. So I think that's cool. Yeah, I agree. I like that too. Okay. And then from this moment, we jump away from Gabrielle and Zena, um, ending on a fantastic Zena line that is in no way kinky whatsoever. Um, that's her saying, you don't want to make me make me mad now, do you? And then walking out. Oh, God. Hey, gay oh, and kinky. Fucking kinky as shit. And um, from there, we end up moving and following Xena. We don't see her trip, but she manages to find a warlord who she um, knows that the men who originally took Gabrielle and her village um, knows that those dudes are related to and work for. And his name is Draco. And he's a massive creep the entire time. Yeah, he is a super creep with bad hair. <laughs> yes, oh my god. And can we discuss the fact that you don't know what's his hair and what's his helmet? <laughs> like, the problem. He has this weird helm that's like over going over his for like the point of his forehead, and it's like looks like it's like a horn or something, but there's hair that's tied into it, but you don't know if it's his hair or somebody else's hair. Oh my god, it's so concerning. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah. Um, I do have to say, though, that despite the fact that this is a generally creepy exchange in relationship, it does have some of my favorite lines from the entire episode, um, just as far as writing goes, um, not necessarily in regards to anything in particular, but this is, a, I feel, a good example of just how good the writing can be in this sh like in this show in general um because they kind of have a back and forth in between um draco ha like got some scar from xena and him saying that it wouldn't have happened if she was being cooperative and like just in general skeeved me out but from there you learn that the relationship is a little bit sexual a little bit romantic a little bit uh, just about fighting and he has a moment where um, he blatantly tells her, like, I dreamt of being with you in love or against you in battle, and you won't give me the satisfaction of either, will you? And I'm like, oh my god, that's such a line. That was... That is, that is a really great line. It's such a line. It sets up for this absolutely dramatic dichotomy of a relationship, and oh, it got me right in the heart, because even though I don't ship them, even though I think he's a fucking creep, I love... Like, this idea that he has of her, where he respects her enough that he wants to either be in love with her or he wants to best her because he respects her as as an equal, or at least yeah. in this and moment I, does. And I think it also speaks to Xena, Xena as a warrior, like an entity unto herself, mm -hmm. that she wasn't just like, she and Draco were like co-warriors or anything. Like she was a warrior in her own right and like something to be feared by like this guy who's clearly like hot shit warlord like he you know even he finds her like a worthy adversary yeah and from that from that point of the conversation um he basically asks her like why she won't team up with him and she tells him that it's because she wants to go home which is part of her big like route to penance i guess something happened back at her village and um she wants to go home essentially and this entire this entire exchange like i said it's just so interesting and so good because it made me really think about um just the idea of what going home is like when you do something or you become something as big and terrifying as what xena is because he mentions that at one point he tried to go home too and his father beat him, essentially. And um, I'm assuming he also ran away again since he's no longer there. And it just makes you think, like, what happens when you leave your home and become a ruthless killing machine and do this likely against the will of your family and you decide to come home? Because you're not that person, A, you're not that person anymore. You don't fit into this narrative of this small town village anymore. But you've also done things that probably make it impossible for you to be home. And it's also something that, like, I really appreciate in Draco's, like, 
in that explanation, you get that even as a truly powerful warlord, you can still come back home and be at the mercy of your family. It actually just made me think about um, Zuko's redemption arc. Yes. Where, like, that scene where he's, like, talking to himself, trying to work up, like, what he's going to say to Aang and, like, everyone else. Yeah. Like, like, hey, I'm good now. Like, let's be friends. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's basically what it is. (laughs) I know. I just thought that was really interesting. And I made another note. And I don't know if this is something we'll ever get the answer to. Um... Maybe you can answer this question for me. But I wrote in here, how do you even get from a small village girl to a warrior princess? I don't know that we ever really see how she... I mean, maybe in later scenes, I don't remember how how she becomes, like, the warrior you know, that she was. I know there's a scene, there's a scene later where she kind of, like, taps into her old warrior ways when she's like up against an adversary yeah and gabrielle's like you're getting a little too warlordy please rein it back i don't know that we ever actually get to see that you know like that section yeah well now i'm curious and now i'm gonna be sad if we don't get an explanation but if not whatever but yeah um And that's basically the end of that scene is them basically having the discussion and then moving on from there. um, We come back to another Gabrielle scene and Gabrielle is trying to escape her home in the middle of the night and run away, except she's a fucking nerd and can't (laughs) and literally knocks over everything, trips, wakes her sister up and is a just just she's just a nerd. She's a little nerd baby and I love her so much. She's so good. But also, like, I'm glad that she woke her sister up because this conversation they have is so good and so queer-coded. Yes. But also, like, really, it's like a really nice, like, sister's family theme on top of that. Yeah. Um, I like this scene a lot because I feel like, especially if you're not queer, you won't necessarily catch it. But it does have very coming out vibes. Like, the entire thing is very subtle coming out vibes to me. Yeah. And, like, Uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's just nothing is stated, like, blatantly. It's just a very much, like, I don't feel comfortable here. This is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not how I'm supposed to live. Um, And she just knows that whatever, this life isn't for her. And her sister is like, oh, okay. Yeah, and I know... I think multiple times throughout the episode, like, because she says it once when she's with Zena, but I think she also says it in this conversation with her sister where she says something along the lines of, I can't be the daughter that they want me to be. Oh, yeah. Which is very, it, which is very, like, queer feels. Oh, 100%. Yep. Um, um, oh, you go. Um, but yeah, she, she says that and then it, like you said, her sister just, like, totally gets it, and she just says, but I I, I just want to be with Xena. Oh, I know. <laughs> God. Thing in the world. Oh, my God. So gay. So gay. And in this, I made our second Disney um, quote work in my notes, because I said, Xena can show her the world. And she, <laughs> yeah. She can show her the world. The so, gay world. Her gay world. Her gay, gay world. Um, ooh, and then you made another quote, another mention about, um, sweet family stuff. Oh, yeah, about one of the things she says before, right before she goes, is not to let their mother carry the water from the well, which I, I find, like, very sweet, because it's, like, the kind of thing that I'd say to my mom, like, I'll be like, don't carry that, it's too heavy, you'll hurt yourself, you know, like. And just that kind of, like, family, like, you know she always tries to do this thing, so don't let her do the thing. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, as she's leaving, they like, Gabrielle turns back, and they both kind of, like, silently mouth goodbye and wave, and it's just, uh, And then I just have, like, all caps, crying emoji. Because this killed you. <laughs> it did. It was, it was a lot. Yeah. Oh, and from here, we get to my favorite scene. I say sarcastically. Um, <laughs> I still don't understand the point of this scene. 
except to just fill time. Um, unless this yeah. comes back in a later episode. But I don't think it does. I think I'm like maybe they put it in because this scene is in the opening credits. Right. So maybe they just liked the visual. I don't know. I don't get it, but this is the scene where Xena has a second encounter that we have not seen the first encounter of with a Cyclops. And um I don't know. It just I none of this makes any sense to me. And Gabrielle has a follow-up scene not but a few minutes later that still doesn't make any sense to me. Basically, they just have these weird conversations with the Cyclops about how like the Cyclops wants to eat Xena because Xena blinded him. And then he can't do anything about it because he can't see her. And then she basically makes a comment about how he could be doing something better with his time, like protecting a small village. And he's like, I can't do that because I'm blind. And she's like, well, even a bl- like, even like any small village would appreciate you, even, even if you're blind. But like, I don't know. Yeah, because it was kind of like the, the implication <laughs> is like, well, I'm the warrior princess, so I can obviously defeat you. I've already blinded you. But, like, regular people would be afraid of even a blind cyclops. So you could protect the village, and they'd probably throw you some sheep or whatever. And he makes this comment, like, how can you go back to sheep when when you've tasted human flesh? So I guess we're still supposed to hate him because he's a cannibal? I don't know. Is it really cannibalism if he's technically not of our species? Yeah, I don't really get it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, they try to portray him as a monster, but really I just kind of end up feeling sad. And, yeah, just like, it it just kind of feels really ableist to me because she's kind of, like, being like, ha-ha, you were a bad guy and I blinded you, and now, like, like I almost, it's like, if he was a bad guy, why didn't you just kill him? Because now you've just left this poor disabled Cyclops to, like, fend for himself? I don't know. It's just, like, and, like, yeah. when she, like, she, like, lays him out, and then he's just, like, laying on the ground, being sad and pathetic, and I was like, this doesn't make, this isn't a good look for you, Zena. No, it doesn't do anything for her I'm suddenly a good person vibe. And then, not minutes later, we have a similar exchange with him and Gabrielle, and he ca- captures her in a um, bamboo-ish box cage thing, and then they argue for a few seconds and she lies to him about being um somebody who's trying to hunt Zena down and kill her but she's obviously not it really doesn't make, this entire exchange feels so pointless I don't understand the point of it I don't get it yeah like literally the only good thing about this entire conversation is Gabrielle's hilarious double oh. entendre yes about yes. how like he, like the Cyclops wants Zena dead and she says something like, she would never let a man close enough to do her, meaning to kill her, but... The, she know. then literally says, right afterwards, at least not that kind of do her. Yeah. <laughs> As in, it, it, she knows. She knows. <laughs> I Like, she literally says it right there. Like, it's. I don't even think it's double entendre because it's so blatantly obvious. She's... Saying that she knows that Xena plays for the opposite team. <laughs> like she knows. Whatever. But yeah. Um, and then another great line that she finishes off at is I feel we're bonded in our hate for this she demon. The she demon <laughs> being Xena. Yeah, which I love because this is like one of the first times we get to see Gabrielle doing her like overacting. Yes. Like, oh Gabrielle God. the character overacting, not, like, Renee O'Connor as Gabrielle overacting. Yeah, like, this is Gabrielle making a point. Yeah. Which is great, and I think later on in my notes, I called Gabrielle, like, the ancient Greece version of, like, a drama kid, because that's basically what she is. 100%, yes. Um, yeah, and then from that moment, once the Cyclops lets Gabrielle go, we bounce back to a Xena scene where she is going through some jungle because you know that's a thing that you go through and um draco's men have been sent to follow her and to track her except they are literally less than a yard away from her on horses as she's walking through this jungle i can't 
<laughs> I literally can't. Them out like one by one until all of them are like taken out, except like the lead bad hair warrior. Yes. Oh, I just I hated this entire exchange because it didn't make any sense to me. None of it makes any sense to me, Elliot. I don't know. And like she takes out these guys and does like I believe you explained it as a and the equivalent of the Vulcan neck pinch. Yeah, because this shows up <laughs> repeatedly the the quote and she says it every time. It's not like she ever expect like the show ever expects us to just know Every time Xena does this thing, she'll tell the person, I just blocked the flow of blood to your brain. You have 10 seconds to, like, tell me whatever I want to know. So this becomes, like, a trope in the Xena universe, of which I don't think, I, I mean, I'm fairly certain this is not a thing that can ever be done, but it gets explained away with some hand-wavy bullshit, like, seasons later, but. I just don't understand it. It feels like such a cop-out for me, but. Whatever, I get it. I get it. You gotta do what you gotta do. Um, sorry, I'm reading my notes really quickly. Because I kind of like to write accidental novels as I'm writing my notes. Oh, yeah, okay. So after she gets information, learning that Draco sent these dudes after her, um, we switch back to a Gabrielle scene. Because remember, they're not together yet. So we just have a lot of cut scenes back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, because, because Gabrielle's trying to catch up to Zena. Yes, and she is following her back to her home of um, Am- Amphipolis. Yeah, I think that's the name of it. Yeah, Amphipolis. And she's probably about half a day behind her at this point, um, just from what I'm from how it seems. And in this scene, Gabrielle decides that her best bet to try to catch up with Xena is to lie across the road. Because there's a well-worn track to lie across the road and wait for somebody who has a carriage to find her. And it is just beautiful. Because this old dude who has this this cart full of shit stops and is like, oh no, what is this? And gets out to check on her. And she bounces up and she's like, I've been praying to Hermes that a traveler such as yourself would come to me. And blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, that's great. Where are you trying to go? And she's like, I've been praying to go to Am- like to Amphipolis. And he's like, well, you are on the only road to Amphipolis. So, good job, basically. Well, and it's, oh, Anyone I, that came this way would be going there. And she's like, well, thank God you showed up. Let me just jump on your cart. And he's like, no. Exactly. Oh, it's beautiful. And she essentially does a few, like, takes a few tries because he keeps saying no. And she's like, just giving it the good old Harvard attempt, <laughs> trying real hard to make him, like, go for something. And he's about to leave her when she mentions, of all people, Oedipus. Yeah, she says that she can recite, um, she can recite many poems with, well, she says something like, with great passion. Yep. And so she starts, she starts reciting something about Oedipus, and the driver is like, Oedipus. I knew Oedipus. (laughs) Yes. And then he invites her on the cart with him so he can tell stories of Oedipus. Yeah. So she starts out being like, let me, let me tell you about my stories. Like, I can recite things. I've had training from a bard. And then he ends up telling her the story. And she's just like, I'm willing to listen to your great story. Exactly. And I feel like um, this is such a perfect example of once again just Gabrielle as a character I feel like by the end of this show we know more about Gabrielle as a character than we do about Xena a little bit yeah because in this we see just how well she works with other people like in all of her dramaticism it really seems to work somehow people end up very endeared by her and very much want to talk to her even if they do find her to be a little strong at the beginning like she's just so easy for people to end up liking and I feel like that is really demonstrated well in this scene because you see this guy come to terms with her just because she's willing to listen to a story mm-hmm. and I know I just love it I I'm just really impressed with how they do Gabrielle's character race it wow characterization throughout this episode so far I think like 
out of everything, I feel like that's the thing that they do the best. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so the next scene is Zeno riding into her hometown, and, like, she goes, she goes, like, by a serene lake, and just, like, a lot of gorgeous shots of New Zealand, because New Zealand is the most gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, more, like, ambient background music that may or may not be Celtic. It's likely all Celtic. And then, like, there's just a scene of her, like, riding Argo into the village, like, essentially through a field because we see a bunch of people, like, working, in the, like, farming. And no one blinks as she passes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she walks into, like, a, I assume, what I assume is a tavern. And an older <laughs> lady appears who is her mom. And her mom just, like, pulls her sword like, pulls Zena's sword off of Zena's person and holds it up in front of her like a fucking badass because Zena clearly comes from badassery. Obviously. And then she tells her that she isn't welcome here. And this is the point that I was very offended by how her mother reacted because, because she is wearing her good Zena headband. <laughs> and it's very obvious that she's good Zena right now. So why wouldn't her mother notice this? I don't know. You think that they should, but I guess she didn't. Just blinded by bias. <laughs> anyway, that I, that was very important to me. But besides that, um, yeah, she's basically told that she isn't supposed to be here. She's nobody wants her here. Something about her taking the men from the village. So I'm assuming that at one point she used them to march for her or something like that in one of her warlordy schemes. Yeah, and it seems like um, she convinced, you know, convinced the people of the town to like fight against the enemy and if they would win and they obviously didn't win. Um, and what we find out in the next scene is that not only did they didn't win, it seems like her brother died also because Gabrielle shows up like in the middle of the town being like, ah, Zena's bad. Mm-hmm. And Gabrielle is just like straight up like, look, I just met Zena and the first time I met her, she was doing good shit. So she's clearly changed. She literally, her words were, I saw her do heroic things in the name of good. Yeah, which is a great, it's just great. It's <laughs> a great one. Amazing. And then, oh god, every line that Gabrielle says in this scene is golden. So they argue with her, the townspeople argue with her for a second, and her response is, being the Xena stan that she is, let me throw some logic at you. I love, I love how they write Xena in like, to- or not Xena, Gabrielle, and I think it might just be Gabrielle. I think it is. Speaking old, like modern language. Everyone else is like time period appropriate. But Gabrielle is like, let me throw some logic at you. Oh my god. Yes. Like honestly, she sounds like she popped right out of our time. Like who who fucking says, let me throw some logic at you? I don't know. Like, I... Not, like not even 90s. Like she sounds like now, like 2018. <laughs> yes, exactly. So clearly, Gabrielle is a time traveler. Only option. No one is surprised. Um, and then the townspeople allow them allow her to take Zena, but basically tell her, get Zena out right now. And the speed upon which Gabrielle says, no problem, <laughs> is just amazing. Like, there is not a second of pause. She is like, yes, I will get her out of here right now. I am so gay. Let me sweep her off her feet and save her. Get her the fuck away from these people. I love it. There's so much sexual tension in this. I love it. I love it. I love it. Anyway. So, yeah. So then they, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Zena has no problem with this girl she met a day or two ago who has followed her. No questions are asked. She, she just pulls Gabrielle up onto Argo and then they ride off to visit Zena's dead brother's like mausoleum or whatever. Um, this is the definition of a U-Haul. Yeah, <laughs> for real. Literally. I'm like, 
I'm like, damn, like, he took you to her brother's grave. That's, like, some serious... That's, like... Shit, really, in their relationship. Yeah, that's, like, um, third date lesbian shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, immediately you go from, like, first date, like, you're just meeting each other. Second date, you're moving in. Third date, you are learning all of your dirty secrets. Like, yeah. yeah. All of the baggage. <laughs> exactly. And at this point, like, um... Gabrielle and Zena can't really move into in together, so Argo is their like it's like they're living in a van. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Argo is their van. <laughs> um, um But yeah, so Zena has this conversation with her with her dead brother as she like leans over his coffin. It like it's like a stone coffin, I guess. I don't really know. It's a like, fancy thing that people do. Yeah, I was just like, did the ancient Greeks make mummies too? Because it kind of looks like that kind of like, you know that stone thing in Inca Mummy Girl and Buffy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like that's what it looks like. So it looks like a thing that would house a mummy, but I, yeah. I want to know why he has one and why nobody else in the village has one. Well, maybe Zena's brother was like, hot shit or something maybe i don't know um oh i do have another note in here as we were talking about you hauling and shit which i almost forgot to mention um i mentioned that they're lesbians and i was like wait a minute i think Zena is actually bi because she dates men too yeah this yeah this is where we decided that Zena is bisexual demi-romantic yes because um, she has sex with dudes yeah she doesn't seem to really like dudes that much. No, and the thing is with Xena, it's not that she just doesn't necessarily like dudes, it's that she doesn't really like anybody. Yeah, there's also that. Yeah. It's like basically only Gabrielle. Yeah. Because it's like, I mean, throughout the, her past and her future, she has sex with dudes. It's kind of like, I'm horny. I'm gonna fuck you now. Okay, I'm done with you. <laughs> like Exactly. Whereas there's literally, I don't think I, there's one or two relationships that I can think of that are mentioned that are past relationships that you can tell she had legitimate feelings for them like um I don't want to I'm not going to do spoilers but there is one specific one that I can think of that I know she once upon a time had feelings for um but ultimately like the only person that we really see her having true possibly romantic feelings for and I don't even want to say possibly because it's so romantic is Gabrielle yeah. Always, it's oh, it always comes down to Gabrielle. So yeah, um, and from there we kind of deep dive into Draco coming through into the village. Um, Zena decides that she wants to kind of do a duel with him in order to protect her city or her village, and there's some real crazy acrobatics and shit that like happen almost immediately i i'm i was confused for this entire fight scene if you haven't realized yet a lot of these fight scenes make me really confused now that i'm like thinking about it this whole <laughs> what they do is there's some kind of weird scaffolding and what dina says is first one to touch the ground dies and this kind of comes back not this exactly, but things similar to this happen a few more times. So I'm like wondering if this was like a legitimate thing in ancient Greece or if it was just like some weird plot thing that they recycled over and over again for the show. I don't know. I'm not going to look up ancient fighting styles for ancient Greece because like I really don't care that much. Honestly, but. I think Xena's just really competitive. It probably turns her on. That's fair. Yeah. Um, and my my questioning is still, why is the scaffolding there? What is the point of the scaffolding? It's wooden scaffolding in a building that is otherwise made of stone. Yeah. And is just hanging out over the bar and makes absolutely no sense. I don't know. It was You can tell it was really only there for the point. I feel like they just wanted some fancy acrobatics. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But yeah. Um, we get more music. 
We get the Zemo. Yeah. And battle ensues. Yep, battle ensues. They jump off the scaffolding and start using people instead. Yeah, Draco just starts walking on people's heads because that's how you know he's an asshole and a bad guy. Exactly, you walk on people's heads. Yeah, and then there's like disembodied like voices of the townspeople being like, you can use my shoulder, Xena, and I'll help you, Xena, which is, like, adorable, but also, like, what? Right? Like, why? Why are you doing this? Um, You had a lot of feelings about oh, the... Yeah, the I did. I totally forgot about this. Okay, so, um, if you haven't, re- haven't realized after this rant, I work in, um, workers' comp, so I work with technically, like, uh, like, health insurance of sorts for people who get hurt at work. And I'm really upset with how Draco Draco handles this because he just decided to go step on people's heads. And we need to address the obvious shoulder and back problems that these farmers undoubtedly already have because they've been farming for years and now will be even worse because some 100 plus 200 pound dude is stepping on their heads. And I feel like this would be a workers' comp case because... Honestly, they're trying to protect their town as best as they can, which in this case is supporting Xena. And in order to protect their town, they are working. I fe- I don't know. Is the village gonna pay for this? I have a lot of I have a lot of concerns here. You and have a lot of feelings about ancient Greece healthcare. I really do. I want to make sure that they're getting taken care of. Who was gonna pay for their healthcare? <laughs> oh, anyway. Um, nobody seems to be complaining about back and shoulder issues after the fact, which is well and good. I'm still concerned. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to Draco falling over, per usual. And Dina is standing on top of him when she wins. Not that little. I believe she says, uh, I believe she's, she's still standing on top of him and she says, I haven't touched the ground yet. Yep, because she literally jumped off somebody else and jumped on him. Because he's the boss. Obviously. Um, And they essentially agree that because she has won, she is not going to kill him, but he is going to leave. He's never going to come back. He's never going to hurt her people. And they all run away. And then the same dude who essentially told Gabrielle earlier in the episode to just make Xena leave, just get her out so they didn't have to deal with her, comes up to her and begins offering her riches, begins offering her loot wagons that they were originally going to give to Draco, and in the saddest voice and just, like, with the saddest eyes, she just says, I don't want anything. Because she doesn't. Oh, I know, it broke me. It literally broke me because I feel like this is that moment where she realizes that this place isn't her home because she's just doing this to protect them because this was her home. This is her village. This is where she came from. Why would she let them hurt these people? And they still think that she's doing it for something. Yeah. And also, like, you know, if you see a person as part of your your town or your village and they save you, you don't offer them loot because you, you know, it's like, it's clear that they don't see Zena as part of their town anymore. Exactly. Like, it was just that, that moment where, like, I, you can just see her face change because for a moment she feels strong. She feels like she's won the fight. She's proud of herself. And then this guy just comes up and starts offering her things. And she's just, she just doesn't, she just has that moment of realization of, oh, I don't belong here. And it was just so sad. It just, oh, it killed me. It literally broke my heart for a minute. But yeah, which is why I'm glad the next scene is so much more filled with emotion and slightly less heartbreaking. It's so good. It's um, so good. She's having a conversation with her mom, and her mom calls her little one, and I die. So, in addition to, like, her reconciling <laughs> with her mom, we find out that the younger sibling between her and her now-deceased brother, and we're just... Yeah. You know, it's and, heartbreaking. Ugh. It's too much. It is too much. And from there, um, we basically have the wrap-up of the episode. 
as we see Zena and Gabrielle hanging out in a fire pit that they have made and um, basically showing that they are not staying here. They are not staying in Amphipolis. They are moving on and Zena is allowing Gabrielle to go with her. And it breaks my heart in a good way. It is so good. And, and it's clear that Gabrielle was not with Zena, but like was still following her. Mm-hmm. And like showed up at the fire that Zena had made for the night. And Zena is like allowing her to stay. And like she mentions that she, she couldn't get a fire started on her own. Um, and there were like mosquitoes big as eagles. Which is literally the best thing in the world. Oh my god. She's such and, a baby. Gabrielle has this line about how... Wait, is this Gabrielle's line or Zena's line? I believe that's Zena's line. Okay, yeah. Um, the line is, it's not easy proving you're a different person. Which is a lot. That is a lot. And... Is coded as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think this is the this is the other time when Zena says the thing about not being the daughter that her family wants. Yeah. I think I think Gabrielle says that, and Zena in response says that it's not easy proving that. This entire conversation is so queer. It really is so it's queer. The fucking queerest. And I feel like this uh, is that moment when I mean it's very obvious it's that moment where Zena sees Gabrielle and really sees her mm-hmm. and realizes not only what type of person she is, but like that A, she's not that bad and maybe she wants her around. Yeah. Because they share something that Zena didn't realize they shared. Which is their queerness. <laughs> Which is their massive queerness. Um, uh, and this is this is the, the beginning of their love story. Literally, by the end of this episode, which comes in literal seconds, they have Determine that they're girlfriends. Because the very last line of the show is Zena looking knowingly at Gabrielle beneath her beautiful eyelashes and says, All right, friend. Because they're girlfriends. And really, like, for for Zena to even call anyone a friend is, like, huge because Zena bursts on the scene with this, like, I have to be alone and pay penance for my sins and blah, 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 you know? So for her to acknowledge that anyone is her friend is, like, huge. It's so massive. And that's our episode. Oh, my God. We hit the end. It's so gay. It's so gay. And we got from start to finish. I'm so proud of us. Me too. Aw. We did it. And now I'm singing that Dora the Explorer song in my head. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, before we leave uh, our listeners, um, we're going to leave them with recommendations for other queer shit. Yes, we are. So, um, my recommendation is the Penumbra podcast, which is amazing. Um, it's made by queer people and it's not exactly an anthology audio drama but it's like 75 percent of their stories are about juno Steele, who is a private detective on mars so it's very hard-boiled noir uh he's also bisexual and non-binary so that's awesome and then they do other stories in a couple like two or three other worlds and there's a lot of queer characters and all other stories, and it's extremely well written, and I love it. Now I need to listen to it for real. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and add that to my to be listened to list. If you start at the beginning, it's a little slow going, but once they find their footing, because originally they wanted to do like an anthology, just a horror sci fi anthology, different thing every week, and then they were like, but oh, wait, we actually really like this one character, so most of our stories are going to be about him. That's totally reasonable, and actually, kind of like that. So. Yeah, I'll give it, I will definitely be giving them a listen soon because we know I always need new podcasts. And for me, 
my recommendation is going to be for you to check out one of my best friends, Maggie Derrick, who is a queer writer who does web-based writing at the moment. Um, she has a free story that you can read currently on Wattpad called The Star in the Ocean, which is a female-female romance. Um, it is a fantasy, and it is absolutely amazing. She is absolutely wonderful. And on top of that, she also does um, digital art and does take commissions. Um, also does some beta reading and stuff like that. So you should definitely check her out. Um, her name is, once again, Maggie Derrick, D-E-R-R-I-C-K. She is fantastic. She is the quintessential perfect human being. Everybody loves her. <laughs> you will love her. So go check out her shit. Read her story. It's free. All right. I think that's all for this week. Awesome. So in that case, um, I'll go ahead and do a little bit of housekeeping. Which is basically, um, if you like us and you like our podcast, please feel free to rate and subscribe on iTunes or whatever you're listening on, if you have the capability to do so. Um, you can also get in touch with us at BlairHerName at gmail.com or BlairHerNamePod on Twitter. Wow, I almost forgot what that hell site was called for a second. <laughs> and um, you can also reach either one of us also on Twitter. I am at RayLikesCats, Ray with an E. And Elliot is Elliot Junkyard. Elliot with two L's and two T's. Yay, you got it right. Thank you. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Although my phone really likes to um, autocorrect it to one T, so I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, just so you know. I've tried. <laughs> but besides that. Um, otherwise, yeah, if you have noticed any inconsistencies or anything that you know about the episode that we did not know about the episode that you think we should have mentioned, please feel free to get in contact with us. We are mostly pretty friendly. Elliot's probably friendlier than I am. I'm a little bitey, but Elliot's really sweet. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, so otherwise, that is it for this episode. We will see you back in two weeks for episode two. And thank you so much for listening. We love you so much. Bye. Bye.